We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedenko here with relationship expert Leslie Vernick, and today we're talking about detachment. Leslie, detachment is probably one of the key ingredients for a woman trying to stay well in a destructive relationship. Can you define healthy detachment for our listeners and unhealthy detachment for that matter? Healthy detachment doesn't mean you don't still care. Healthy detachment means that you care, but that you're not responsible for fixing them or fixing their life. It doesn't mean that you become mean or hard-hearted or revengeful. Healthy detachment means that you detach your need for someone to change or someone to care or someone to do something that you wish they would do in order for your well-being to be better, that you wished he would go for help, that you wished he would change his ways, that you wished he would care more, be honest. All the things that are totally legitimate to want, but you're letting go, you're detaching from your need to have him do those things in order for you to be okay. Now, let me just say this. It's not unreasonable for you to want him to do those things. But if you're at this stage in your marriage and you've asked and you've begged and you've pleaded and you've threatened and nothing has changed based on your history with that person and you're not ready to end that relationship or end that marriage for other good reasons, not because you're going to restore the marriage or have a good marriage, but maybe you have little kids or you aren't financially ready or you are not capable of living on your own at this stage of the game, then you may have to detach from expecting him to change and learn to be okay with where you are. Paul says in Philippians, I've learned to be content. And that means I've detached from my need to have things go the way that I want them to go in order for me to be okay. Leslie, that sounds brutal. Almost like a, a, a death. There's grief involved in detaching, isn't there? You know, there is grief in letting go of what you thought your life was going to look like. You know, whether that's, I thought, I was going to have five kids and I am infertile, or I thought I was going to have this kind of kid and I have a special needs kid, or I thought I was going to have this kind of marriage and I don't. Life is full of surprises, both good ones and bad ones, in which we have to learn to accept and let go of things that we thought were going to be the way they are and they're not. Jesus tells us that, that he tells us that we're going to have enemies and he tells us that we might have to detach from someone and love your enemy, but that, so it doesn't mean you hate your enemy. They're your enemy because they've harmed you. You don't have a relationship with them and you have to let go of your desire for them to be your friend or for you to have a trusting relationship with them, but you do have to let it go. And that what, is a sort of death. What does that look like? I mean, if they're not your friend, but you're living with them, you're sleeping in the same bed with them. What does that look like? And maybe you're not sleeping in the same bed with them, you know, so maybe those would be some boundaries that you would have to establish for your own safety. But, but it looks like not needing them to be a certain way in order for you to change. Here's a couple of examples. I accept that my husband's incapable or unwilling of being honest. Now, it's not that I love it or I like it, but I accept knowing him, knowing our history, knowing what he's willing to do and what he's not willing to do. I'm going to quit trying to catch him and pressure him and threaten him to be honest. He's not going to be honest. I know he's not going to be honest. Therefore, what I need to do 
is make sure that I'm safe, that I'm not being sexually vulnerable if he's dishonest sexually so that I don't get a sexually transmitted disease. What do I need to do to take care of me? Because I can't trust that he will take care of me because he's dishonest and I accept that. And so I'm detaching from my need for him to be honest in order for me to be okay. I can be okay. I can set boundaries. I can do what I need to do for me, knowing that he is going to be typically dishonest in things. So it's really a level of accepting reality. Exactly. I accept that my husband is unwilling to care for me in the way that I want him to, the way I thought he would. And therefore, I need to learn to care for me. I need to learn to have better friends who can nourish me and have good conversations with because I accept he's not willing to partner with me in those things. Or I accept that my husband's financially irresponsible. Maybe he's a good father. Maybe he's a good handyman around the house, but he can't manage money to save his life. And I accept that. And therefore, I have to be financially responsible. I have to learn how to make sure that we have enough money to pay our bills and that there's boundaries around his access to money if he's gambling with it or if he's using it irresponsibly. And I'm not saying that you have to stay in these kind of relationships. Maybe you don't. But if you are going to stay well, this is the definition of staying well. It doesn't mean your marriage is going to change. It means you accept where your marriage is right now, and you can stay without letting it continue to deteriorate your health or your mental health or your physical health or your spiritual health. And that's not always possible. And so I don't want to think that detachment is always an answer for everybody. But for some people, it is that their marriage is tolerable. And as long as they're not making requests or pressures or demands for their husband to change, then they can stay well for the sake of their children, for the sake of their medical insurance for the sake of other benefits that they have in this relationship. I think detachment also really does keep the woman from becoming destructive herself, from going crazy, trying to get her husband to change. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think that's the red flag that you have to do something different. So either you have to detach and divorce and say, I can't live like this anymore, or you detach and stay well and say, I have to learn to accept that he's never going to be whatever it is. And how can I or how might I build a life that thrives and flourishes for me and my kids, even if my marriage doesn't? So when does a woman know it's time for me to detach? Well, I think there might be fits and starts of some of that. So a really good time to know is when you've tried to get him to change. You've repeatedly tried to repair relationship wounds, broken trust, and those efforts are in vain, that they're not being reciprocated and there's no mutuality and you feel like you're dying or going crazy trying to fix this. So now it's time for a different approach. And Approach number one is, hey, I have to leave this relationship. It is unsafe. And it's not just disappointing. It's dangerous and toxic. And I'm not going to make it. And neither are my kids. And so I need to have one healthy parent for my kids. And so I have to separate. Or maybe my kids are grown. Or maybe my kids are pretty little. And they would be suffering more if he had 50% custody. And so right now for this season, it might not be forever. But for this season, I am going to have to detach from my desires in this marriage. And I'm going to have to shift my focus to taking care of me and not trying to fix him. And that's a very different focus. 
Okay, and I'm going to just be devil's advocate here because I can hear some Christians saying, well, that's not sacrificial love. That's not biblical. You're supposed to give everything. And how is detachment biblical? Detachment is accepting reality. And Jesus calls us to live in the truth, to walk in the truth. And so if your marriage isn't meeting emotional, spiritual sexual, financial needs for you, you have two choices. You can resent him and become destructive yourself, both internally as well as externally. Or you can accept that after you've tried to get him to change, Jesus went through this. He tried to get Judas to change. He tried to get the Pharisees to change. So there's nothing wrong or sinful with trying to get your husband to wake up and change, just like there's nothing wrong or sinful with you trying to get your destructive parent to change or your destructive child to change who's an addict or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But there comes a point in time where you have to accept that you don't get to decide for this person. They get mm -hmm. to decide. And once you can accept that they get to decide and they've decided they don't want that, they don't want to become the person you want them to become, they don't want that for themselves. Then you let go of that, not like you don't wash your hands of them in a disgusted, I hate you kind of way, but you let go of that and you put your energies elsewhere. And I don't think that's ungodly. I think that's quite biblical because otherwise you're trying to take responsibility for someone who's not your responsibility to take responsibility for. You can be responsible to someone, to be honest with them, to show care to them, but you're not responsible for fixing their life. Detaching emotionally from a destructive partner can be mentally and emotionally draining. So what self-care practices or strategies can listeners implement to nurture their own well-being and get back some of that internal strength? One of the things that a destructive marriage does to you is it kind of isolates you because you feel so ashamed uh, or embarrassed that you aren't cherished and loved like other women might be that you see in your social circle, other women at church. And so you tend to personalize that. What's wrong with me that he can't love me? What's wrong with me that he won't be honest? What's wrong with me that I can't fix this? And so I think it's really important to recognize that if you're going to detach or e even if you're not sure what you're going to do right now, you're just in the definition of I'm in a destructive marriage, that you get some support. That being around other women who are strong or lovely or godly women who have husbands who don't love them either helps you depersonalize. This isn't about me. This is about him and his growth, lack of growth, his willingness to learn, his unwillingness to learn, his willingness to repent, his unwillingness to repent. It's not about me at all. And being with other women who you see it happening to can really be helpful for you. So get the support that you need to go on that journey. And get the support that you need to accept reality. You know, if your husband died suddenly, we would have all kinds of support to accept reality, right? You would have a funeral. You would have people bringing casseroles to your house. You would have people calling you and sending you cards to help you support the reality that your marriage is gone, your husband is dead. But we don't have any support to accept the reality that your husband is uninterested in mm. being a faithful husband. Your husband is uninterested or unwilling to be a good provider. Your husband's unwilling to care about you in any way that would be labeled normal. And so it's hard to even admit that, 
let alone get support. But we do need support to accept the reality. And that's our next step. So get support. And the second step is getting the support to accept the reality that I've done what I can do to change this person. Jesus did what he could do to change Judas. Judas didn't want to change. Jesus did what he could do to change the rich young ruler. He had this conversation with him. And the rich young ruler said, I don't want to do that. And Jesus said, okay. He let him have his own choice to say, no, I don't want that. And Jesus detached from him. He let him go. And the passage says he loved him and he still let him go. So this is really important for detaching is that you let someone go, not by washing your hands of them, but being respectful of their right to choose the kind of life they want to live. The problem is the kind of life that they want to live has consequences on you while you're still legally attached, right? You're still legally attached to them. But what we're talking about is emotionally detaching so that whatever they do doesn't have as much impact on you as it might if you're emotionally invested. Okay, so give me an idea of what this might look like in a situation where a woman's decided to detach and her husband comes home from work and they're starting dinner. How does she treat him? How does that look in just a normal everyday situation? If we could define detachment in one sentence, it's showing up the person that you want to be without expecting the other person to show up in the way you want them to be. Okay. Right? So, so you can show up and if you want, if you love cooking and you want to make a nice dinner, make one without expecting him to be appreciative or needing him to be thankful or even him to eat it. He may not even eat it, but you enjoyed cooking it. It was good for you to eat. It was good for your kids to eat. And whether or not he eats it, you're not attached to that outcome. So you're showing up as you want to show up as a person. I want to show up as a kind person. I want to show up as an honest person. I want to show up as a uh, faithful person. I want to show up as a kind person. I don't need you to notice, appreciate, or do it back in order for me to show up the way that I want to show up. So if he that evening wants to have sex, can you have sex with somebody and be detached? Or is that... Uh deal breaker? Well, I don't know. That would be somewhat thing for the woman to decide. So perhaps, and this may sound crazy, but you know, again, it depends on their history. If he's been harsh and ugly and abusive in his behaviors, probably not because it feels like you're just being a body. But let's just say he's been busy with work. He's been indifferent to your feelings about he's too busy. He's been a little disrespectful of his role as a husband, because he's so interested in being a winner at work, not necessarily interested in being a provider, but interested in being, you know, top of his game. Maybe he's involved in sports, he's involved in his things that he's involved in, and he's really not very attentive to you and the kids. And he wants to have sex. And maybe you want to have sex too. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe in the history, you've had a good sex life and a good connection there. And maybe that's a win-win for both of you. I'm not saying that's the norm for most women, but I don't want to exclude those women who say, you know what, I can be affectionate and that feels okay for me in this area of our life, even though I don't want to feel that I have to do this right for him. I don't want to show up that way. So I don't want to put a blanket no 
for most women, it probably would be a hard, no, I don't want to have sex with them because it would hurt me to do so. That's not how I want to show up. Is it important that your husband know that you've detached and maybe that's why you don't have sex because you want him to know you've detached and this is why? Yeah, I think it would be important to communicate something like, hey, I accept that you don't want the kind of marriage that I envisioned for us. I accept that you don't want to partner with me on our finances. Or I accept that you are going to cheat on me and I don't like it. And I'm not sure I'm going to stay in this relationship long term. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. But as a result of your decision to choose to be unfaithful repeatedly and not be honest with me about your struggles or not get help for your struggles, I have some boundaries. And these are my boundaries. I'm not willing to be intimate with you for my own sake and for my own safety. And I'm willing to co-parent with you for a season for the welfare of our children. So those would be ways to communicate in a respectful, kind way. That's how I want to show up. But I have boundaries because of your decisions to not change. This is a very small example. So I, I recognize ahead of time that people are dealing with much more serious situations. But my husband was really, really bad about date night. When I say bad, like, Never. It just never happened. Well, he didn't care. He's more of a homebody, whereas I will lose my mind if I'm home for more than 24 hours. I got to get out. And it got to the point where, you know, we'd go to marriage counseling and it, I literally became an assignment where, you know, take your wife out this week. And he still didn't. I remember buying gift certificates and giving them to him and saying, just here, it's already paid for. Just take the initiative to set it up one night and they would all expire. And I would get so mad. And I think he was partially pushing back. Like, I'm not going to be told what to do. I don't know. But I finally just was like, fine. But I'm going out with my friend for my birthday and you get to watch the kids. <laughs> I did. Mm -hmm. I literally flew to California and had a great weekend with my friend, and he was totally fine mm -hmm. and not upset about watching the kids. And now occasionally, I think because I let go and I stopped trying to control him and change him, it doesn't happen often, but occasionally he will set up a date night and mm -hmm. I accept it. And I don't say, well, it's about time. It's just, okay, great. I take what I can get, I guess. But I also don't sit around and be mad that he's not doing something, I do it for myself. That's the essence of detaching. And whether you do it in one area of your marriage, or you have to do it in the whole relationship, it's saying, what do I need to do to feed myself if he's not feeding me in a certain area that I wish he would feed me? Right. Instead of being, instead of putting your entire well-being in the hands of another human being. And I think in a normal marriage and with healthy people, most of us do that anyway. All of us have weaknesses, whatever that might be. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a destructive marriage unless I'm ragging on him about his weaknesses or he's ragging on me about mine. But let's say you're married to someone who's not very emotionally deep, right? Maybe he's a good provider. Maybe he's a good father. Maybe he's faithful. Maybe he's honest. He's handling money well. He puts money in the bank. He repairs the house. He mows the lawn but he doesn't have deep conversations with you. Well, you might have to accept that he's not 
ready to learn how to do that yet, or he doesn't know how to do that yet. And it's not a big burning desire for him to learn to do that yet. And you have deep conversations with someone else. You detach from that need from him and you find that need met elsewhere in appropriate ways so that you don't develop strong, deep bonds with other men, but you do have deep conversations with other women so that that need is met instead of just sitting there angry and resentful that he's not meeting all of your needs. Nobody can meet all of your needs. And so we're in the topic of more destructive relationships, but I would just say that if you're in a normal marriage, he still isn't going to meet all of your needs and he, and you aren't going to meet all of his needs. That's not how marriage was designed. Marriage Mm -hmm. isn't someone who's going to be your everything as Hollywood and Harlequin would kind of design it to be. That's not marriage. It's not realistic. And so part of our maturity is not trying to make someone into someone we think they should be, but accepting who they want to be and then deciding whether or not you can stay in a committed bond to that person. And hopefully you decide that before you marry them, but sometimes people don't show you who they are or they didn't even become who they are until after you've married them. So detachment could be complete and total detachment in every physical, emotional way, or it could be in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it could be in certain areas that I detach. I'm detaching my demand for him to provide date nights for me, to initiate date nights. Maybe if I initiate them, he'll go. Maybe he won't go. I could try that. But if you're always telling yourself, I need him to do something, I need him to initiate date nights in order for me to feel loved and valued. That's setting you and him up for a disappointing relationship. I think even a good, you know, your definition of a good marriage, a good marriage looks like, and maybe it doesn't look the same to him. Because in my mind, if you're happily married, you go on date night. And I had to finally accept that you can be happily married without regular date nights. Yeah, you can, if you can accept that, that happily married doesn't necessarily have external definitions, date nights. It does have some internal definitions. So the internal definitions of a happily happily married long-term is the verse in Proverbs 31 where it says, he trusts her to do him good, not harm, all the days of his life. So in order to have a happy relationship, there needs to be trust and safety in that relationship. And if that's lacking a date night, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not trust and safety. So good. Now, detachment can be challenging. So what are some common roadblocks that people might encounter? Well, I think the biggest roadblock is that it doesn't seem fair that we have to let go of our dream of what we thought our marriage was going to look like or what our husband was supposed to do. Um, We have certain ideas of who he should be and he has certain ideas of who we should be. And we wouldn't want to be put in a box that we have to be Betty Crocker and Victoria's Secret and, and Graham Lotz all at the same time. Nobody can live up to those unrealistic expectations and he can't either. And so I think sometimes we get stuck in, it's not fair. Why can't he change? Why can't he be what I need? A true marriage is loving the person who is not 
who you think they should be and letting someone be who they want to be. Even Jesus allowed Judas to show who he truly was, right? And he allowed the rich young ruler to be who he wanted to be, which was immature and greedy. He wasn't willing to sell all of his possessions and come and follow Jesus. Peter and John were, they left their fishing boats, they left all their livelihood and they came and followed Jesus. But this young man wasn't willing to do that. And Jesus still loved him, but he let him go, right? And so I think that's part of accepting who this person wants to be or where they're at. Um, and we had this resistance to, it should be the way I think it should be. You should do what I think you should do. Life should not be this way. Marriage should not be this way. Why should I have to detach? He should change. People should help him. People should change him. I have to change him. And I think those are the things that we really get stuck in versus really having an honest conversation with your husband and saying, what did you envision a great marriage to look like? And maybe for you and your husband, Julie, it might've been, I envisioned a marriage to look like, you know, they were just sitting home and watching TV, we're eating popcorn and we're just chilling watching TV all day, you know, that might be totally fun for him. Right. To me, that would be like the worst thing I could do I know, all day, too. right? But <laughs> but it might be helpful for you to hear him say, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And so now, is it your job to make him want more? Or is it your job to accept what he's good with? Or not accept it? Like, hey, I'm good with having multiple partners. I'm good with being ugly with you and angry with you and calling you names. And I think that's being a, a leader. I think that's being a man. And if you don't like it, tough luck. Well, maybe I don't like it and I'm not willing to take it. Right. right. And I think that's okay for women to decide too. I'm not willing to live with a man who lies and cheats and scares me and the kids. If a woman is going to detach, what are some warning signs or indicators that she might be moving into an unhealthy detachment rather than finding a healthy balance. Anger, resentment, and depression are all internal warning bells that you're not accepting reality, that you're disappointed and angry that reality is different than you wanted. And it's you're either angry and you're spouting it out about that or resentful and holding it in or depressed and just feeling hopeless and helpless about that. Um, and so a healthy detachment is that you're not resisting it and you're not resenting it. You're accepting that someone doesn't want your help, that they don't want to change right now. And they still ignore you. They still lie to you. They may still cheat on you, but you don't let them or that continue to control you, your well-being or your life by repaying evil with more evil of your own, right? Or by being cold, unforgiving, and hard-hearted. Because that means you're not showing up the way you want to show up. And you become not only disappointed in them, but you become disappointed with your own self. And so detachment helps you to see, it's sort of like, maybe it's easier for us to see it with our children or even our parents. Like when we grow up, we have to detach from our parents living their life the way we thought they should. Maybe we thought they should do more in retirement, or we thought they should save more for retirement. We thought they should, whatever we thought they should do, we sort of detach from that. It doesn't mean we don't love our parents. It doesn't mean we don't visit them for Thanksgiving. It just means that we are in charge of how their life goes. They're in charge of that. Hmm. Now, I think in a marriage, the, the downside of living with someone detached is their consequences of their foolishness and their sinfulness 
can still impact you, right? Um, because you're legally married to someone, their financial decisions, for example, you may not try to manage that anymore or control that. But if they don't pay taxes and you're still filing a joint tax return, you are still liable for some of their debt or you're still liable for some of the consequences. And so that's what makes it really tricky if you're trying to stay well. What are the long-term consequences and damages to you and the kids if nothing changes? So if he's still going to be sexually acting out and he still demands you be sexual with him and you don't have good boundaries in your detachment, then he might have a sexually transmitted disease, as do you, and how's that going to impact your children? And so I think those are mm -hmm. where women have to really think through long and hard. If I stay for good reasons, at least temporarily good reasons, I'm going back to college, I need to get a job, I need to educate myself, or I don't have healthcare insurance, I have to figure out what I'm going to do in the meantime, or my kids are little. Those are some really good reasons that women choose to stay well, not that they're staying well, that they're hoping their marriage is going to be better, but they're staying well in that I know that marriage still provides some benefits that I need, safety for my kids or a secure house until I can earn a living to support a different living environment, those kind of things. And I have to figure out how to do this in a way that doesn't keep boking the bear of my husband. You have to change. You have to change. You have to change in order for me to be okay. I accept that you're not going to change, but how are we going to live peaceably together? So- you may still have to go through some of that anger and all that. Am I right in the beginning of detachment of just feeling those emotions? But if you're still spitting in his coffee a year later, you've moved into unhealthy <laughs> detachment. <laughs> I love that example. Yes. Yes. So that's exactly it. Just like if your husband died suddenly, or even if he didn't die suddenly, he died, you know, after a long-term illness, you would have grief. And let's say it was a good marriage. All right. It was a good marriage and your husband dies suddenly. You're still going to have to accept reality and detach, right? You're going to have to detach from what you thought your life was going to look like. It's not going to look like that anymore of what you thought. Maybe you find out that he didn't have life insurance you thought he had. And so you feel a little angry and you have to detach from your demand that he fix that. He's dead. He can't. He's gone. He won't fix it. Um, but if you had a good marriage, you don't want to let go. You're angry that you have to let go. It's not fair. And so you get caught in all that anger in the beginning of normal grief. That's just the normal first step is that you're first, you don't accept it. Then you accept it, but you're angry that you have to go through that. It's not fair. Why me? Why this? Why now, God? And so all of that is really normal. But eventually, even in a good marriage and a good man, he dies suddenly or he dies of cancer. If you're going to move on with your life, you must eventually accept he's not here. He's not going to be able to support me anymore. He's not going to be my companion. He's not going to be my lover. He's gone. And as you accept mm -hmm. that, you detach emotionally from them. That gives you more energy and space to reattach to something else, not another guy or all those kind of things, but to begin to develop your life again. Because while you're grieving, you're just on hold. You're all consumed with what you lost. And I can't go on and I'll never be able to live without him if it was a good marriage. You might think those thoughts. But eventually you have to accept, I guess I have to learn to live without him. I guess I'll have to learn to be a widow and a single mom. And I don't like it, but what might be possible if I stop being angry that I have to learn this? And just learned it, right? And when we can't accept that, then we get stuck in complicated grief and we're not moving on. You can't reinvest in a new story about you and your life 
until you let go of the old story. And that's what detachment is, whether we do that through grieving and a loss through death, or we do that through grieving a dream that dies, or the person isn't the person we thought they were. How many of us have had a friend? And as you get to know them, you realize that they're not the person you thought they were. And you have to step back or you don't want to be close friends or best friends. And it's sort of sad because you were thinking this person was going to be a bestie and they're not. And so there's this letting go of what you thought it was going to be. And in order to move on to creating something else, you must divest yourself of that energy, that psychological, emotional, spiritual energy that you're putting into this direction in order for you to go in this direction. And that's what detachment is, whether we do it through regular grief because someone's died or we do that through grieving smaller things like the loss of the way we thought our marriage was going to work. And it's still, we're legally married, but we're not having the kind of marriage I thought we were going to have. But how do I accept that without resentment and anger? We're going to have that at first, but we want to work ourselves through that mm-hmm. by detaching and moving toward a different direction. Final question, is detachment a forever thing or is there an end to it? I think the work of detachment is a process. So let's say, let's change directions. Let's say that you have a child who's an addict and you've spent all your time and energy trying to get them help. You've spent tons of money in treatment. You've followed them all over the city trying to find them when they're homeless. I mean, you've just invested, 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 and they don't want to change. They're committed to their lifestyle. And as much as you love them and as much as you want them to be a healthy, stable person and be in a good relationship with you and be in a good relationship with someone else, they're not invested in doing that work. And you're way over invested in them changing. And you come to a come to Jesus moment where you have to accept that they're a grown up now and they have to make their own life choices. And as painful as it is, you have to detach your well-being from their life decisions, right? That it doesn't mean you're not sad, that you're not sad and that you still don't grieve, but that you're not trying to fix or rescue or control their life anymore. And you detach from that. Does that not mean you don't invite them over for Thanksgiving? You do, but you probably have some boundaries, right? You can't come high, you can't come drunk, all those kind of things. So it doesn't mean that you don't love them or that you don't care about them or you don't pray for them. It just means that you have stopped spending your resources of time, energy, and money trying to get them to change. You accept that that's their work to do if that's what they want to do it. And you have whatever limited relationship you can have that's safe and constructive for you. You can love them, you can pray for them, but you're not investing in changing them anymore. You've accepted reality. And once you've accepted that detaching and accepting that reality, you're reinvesting in all that time and energy and resources that you spent Mm -hmm. trying to change and fix them. Now you have it in your bank. What are you going to do with it? Maybe you're going to go back to college. Maybe you're going to become an addiction specialist because now of all you went gone through, you do want to help people who want help. Or maybe you're going to do some foster caring, or maybe you're going to write a book about your experience, or maybe you're going to uh, just take a cruise and get away from the whole thing for a break. But now you've got this energy and resources and you can do that without guilt that I'm not fixing him. I'm not helping him. I'm not sacrificing my life for him when he's not interested in changing. And in the same way as a parent would have to let go of that, as a wife, you might have to let go of he doesn't want to change. Now, what do I need to do for me? 
It may sound really scary or awful to detach, but really I think the end result is a peace. Would you agree? It's a peace because you can actually love this person with limits. Like I love a son who's an addict who chooses homelessness or chooses to be living not in a way that we raised him, but I can love him with limits. I can't have him live with me. I'm not going to give him money. I'm not going to go hang out with him in the homeless shelter right now because it's too dangerous or whatever. Or I might go down there and have Thanksgiving dinner with him, but then I'm going to come home and have my own life. And I have my own life. My life isn't connected and attached to his life and his well-being. And that's what healthy detachment looks like. It doesn't mean you don't care. It means that you're not spending your energy and resources of time, energy, and money trying to fix, rescue, and control that person so that you feel better. You're feeling better just by taking care of you and having your own life and letting them have theirs. Would you pray for women that are listening to this and finding themselves maybe in the need to detach in their marriages? Lord, we know that as women, our hearts long for relationships. That's just how we're wired. That's how you wired us. We want connection. We want community. We want to love and we want people to love us. And you want that too. It's just that some other people that we choose to be around and hang around and attach ourselves to don't want it as much as we do. And they actually do things that harm it, harm the connection, harm the trust, harm the safety. And so, Father, help us to trust you in all of that, that you have our back, that you see what we're going through, that you care, and that you want to teach us to be strong and centered godly women in you, not in our marriage, not in our man, not in our kid, not in having everything go the way we want it to go, that we trust that whatever happens, that we are going to grow through it and we're going to get stronger. Lord, help us not to need with a capital N-E-E-D, someone else to do something for us, for us to be okay, that we know that you give us everything we need. And maybe we need to learn to detach from some people because they are toxic and harmful to us. And we've invested way too many of our resources and our well-being in them being happy with us and loving us. They're not capable, Lord. Help us to accept that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with Him, with yourself, and with others.